Hello there. This is Jolie Bindo from the Hollow Chronicles of a Jedi podcast. You're listening to the Old Republic podcast. Please like and subscribe on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating review, and Brian and Cassia will feature it on the pod. Now, enjoy the show, and may the Force be with you, always. We are the Old Republic Podcast. Spoiler alert for everything Star Wars under the Twin Suns. The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope. Make ten men feel like a hundred. I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. All right, everyone, we are back aboard the Ebon Hawk, and we are headed uh, on our way to our next uh, location, or groups of locations, here for our KOTOR 2 travel logs. So uh, Brian and Cassia are here with you to take you on this journey. Uh, it's going to be bouncing around a little bit, right, Cassia? Because we've already been everywhere that we need to go, but we yeah. have to go back to some of those places. So we have to go back there again. <laughs> that's right yeah we have some unfinished business uh some loose ends uh and some other stuff we wanted to wanted to talk about here as we kind of get into the uh end sections of uh kotor 2 but you know before we you know set off to our first destination uh we just stumbled across something uh it is in the uh, broom closet of the ebon hawk and that is the remains of hk47 yeah he is the interesting droid from KOTOR 1 that says all sorts of funny things and then uh, they brought him back for uh, KOTOR 2. That's right. Yeah, apparently, uh, after the events of uh, KOTOR 1, uh, HK-47 uh, is traveling around but gets uh, separated uh, from Revan at some point and uh, ends up back on board uh, the Ebon Hawk with uh, T3 there. Uh, but unfortunately for HK, is uh, he's not all there. All of his, uh, all of his uh, bits and bobs are gone, and uh, part of the game is restoring HK-47 uh, to his former glory. And thusly, Mitra Surik becomes uh, the new master of everyone's favorite assassin droid. Yeah. And it was it was interesting to rebuild him. It's kind of like a quest on top of your other quests. Uh, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh one of the one of the reoccurring themes or not themes, I guess, but one of the things that keeps happening uh throughout KOTOR 2 are these uh new batch of HK50s uh that keep coming around and trying to uh kill us kind of at every turn, every place we go, they seem to show up and uh that kind of annoys HK47 cuz uh he finds it very insulting that they would have uh, ever updated his model as uh we all know HK47 is the creme de la creme of assassin droids and uh I was just thought that that was kind of funny that it would uh, irritate him that <laughs> they'd, they'd replaced his model and um one of kind of my favorite just parts i guess of uh hk 47 story in kotor 2 is that you have you have hk you have t3 and you've got goto there and they all just kind of bicker at one another uh plus uh bowder's uh, little droid and they all just uh, none of the droids really seem to get along that well and i always just thought that was kind of fun yeah it's not really like R2-D2 and C-3PO. They just all don't get along. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and especially since uh, 
Goto, G-O-T-O. Uh, we sort of settled on uh, how we were going to say that was the one that uh, commissioned these HK-50s uh, to be built in the first place. So uh, definitely some turmoil there, but it is important that we have HK-47 uh, in the party for sure as we go, because there's uh, still some important things that we need to do, uh, Cassia. So uh, like I mentioned, we have been everywhere that we need to go, but we're going to be going uh, back to a couple places. And the first one is we're going to be going back to Duxon and Onderon, uh, because uh, there are some loose ends there we need to tie up. Now, you don't have to do this um, in the game. Uh, this is kind of an optional thing if you go back, but um, it does, you know, kind of create some more of uh, story elements and things like that. So uh, it's kind of fun to go back there and uh, get some more of this story. But uh, what can you tell us about what we have to wrap up on Duxin and Onderon, Cassia? We have to settle the General Valklu and Queen Talia feud because they're not getting along. Yeah, they're not getting along. Yeah, if you remember uh, from our first trip there, it's kind of a, a very uh, politicized and polarized, uh, you know, situation that's going on here in Onderon. And uh, yeah, kind of depending on what path uh, you take, uh, either light side or dark side is going to, you know, play in on which side of this uh, conflict you uh, step into and, you know, uh, whose side you take in that so that's kind of interesting and then um also on Duxon and Onderon we are going to a Sith tomb uh, now presumably this is the tomb of Freedon Nad uh which is a story that we get in the original uh Tales of the Jedi uh comic line which we've talked about here on the show before yeah and that's an interesting tomb to go to and um Darth Bane will visit the tomb later that's right, yeah, and then uh, the Darth Bane uh, trilogy of books, that is one of the places that Darth Bane goes as he is, uh, you know, accumulating his power and knowledge of the uh, dark side of the uh, Force. So uh, that's some pretty interesting uh, stuff there, and that's kind of the last thing you get to decide to do in Knights of the Old Republic. After this point, T3 has decided where the Ebon Hawk is going to go. Uh, you're going to go there whether you like it or not, uh, because we are in the endgame. So before we before we do that, uh, before we press go on this hyperdrive, Cassie, is there anything else that we missed in KOTOR 2 that we want to address before we, before we head off to start our uh, end section of the story? So I got a question from uh, Marius on Discord, okay. uh, and he says, considering the Darksaber has essentially replaced the EU's Mask of Mandalore as a form of crowning Excalibur. How would the reemergence of the Darksaber in the possession of Candorus Ordo, Mandalore as of KOTOR 2, be seen by others in the galaxy? Um, the question, he, he goes on to say, the question might be complicated of asking whether Revan used the Darksaber after slaying Mandalore as well. Symbol of the Sith and all that jazz. And then... Han Solo, the real Han Solo, so it must be, you know, Harrison Ford commenting, <laughs> yeah. um, says, um, I'll make the Darksaber at least 4,000 years old. Might complicate things if Terra Vizsla lived only 1,000 years before Rebels. I might be wrong of the time gap, but it would be interesting if Candorus or Revan wielded the Darksaber. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, uh, that would be um, interesting, and it would be interesting to, you know, think of that as the, the piece of power and not as, you know, the, the mask of Mandalore um, being that kind of symbol of, of who's leading. Um, yeah, so that would be, that would be really interesting. It's, um, 
you know, it'd be interesting to think of if Revan would have had the Dark Saber. Um, perhaps that could be because we know that uh, Darth Revan, uh, you know, carried the the two. He had his uh, his red saber and his uh, purple saber. Um, so maybe maybe there's something to do with that, or maybe uh, Vizsla recrafted the Dark Saber from. Uh, the kyber crystal from Revan. Uh, maybe that's how you kind of skirt around uh, that issue there, where it was kind of the the source of the source of power, um, you know. And maybe the you know the the civilization of the Mandalorians didn't really understand what that was, but Revan did, and then it was you know recrafted into you know what we see as the modern day uh, equivalent there in the dark saber. But but what about you? What do you think? How do you how do you kind of reconcile that if that were going to be the case? I would kind of think that the Mandalorians would have different relics, you know? Like, mm. masks are so important to them, so I could see a mask being important. Um, a dark saber is interesting. Maybe there's been multiple dark sabers reforged, you know? Mm. Um, but, I don't know, like... Uh, Marius went on to ask, another question might be exploring what kind of monuments Mandalorians might have built to mark their conquests. If so, what would they be? What does a peacetime rebuilding Mandalore such as Candorous do? I don't know. How do you think they would mark their, uh, triumphs? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, I think that if you are going to kind of you know, associate it with uh, sort of like a like a real world kind of a thing. Uh, you know, what did what did the you know Romans do as they were you know moving and spreading out? They basically just established uh, cities and their images, and um, you know, just kind of you know held control that way. It was you know kind of a, a monument through um, expansion. So um, maybe that. Like I don't. The Mandalorians don't strike me as the kind of people that would be you know building big big statues or. Um, you know, places of worship or, or things like that, you know, um, you know, being kind of this more warring type of nation. I think it's, I think it's just, you know, moving and spreading out and establishing, uh, strongholds on these places that you've been to and, you know, given conquest to, but, um, yeah, I don't know. And then, you know, as far as during, you know, a, a peacetime sort of thing, what, what does, uh, Candorous, uh, do, what is he get up to and, uh, spend his time doing? Uh, certainly, you know, when we're, uh, there at the camp, you know, they're still going through the uh, motions of training and uh, fighting and things like that. But uh, yeah, probably always, always itching for a little bit of adventure, probably in some sort of fashion. But I don't know. What do you think about that, Cassia? I don't know. Like, I d do I see them like creating like the Arc du Triomphe or anything? Um, probably not. But I do see them commemorating like their conquests but i i think it's hard for mandalorians to be at peace mm -hmm. um but maybe they would be like okay we're gonna like create some artwork and architecture to commemorate our history so that would be interesting to see but Fun fact about the original Mask of Mandalore, I didn't know this. It was constructed out of the bones of a mythosaur. Oh, okay. So, like, uh, that's, I learned that from Theo on Discord, and it's a symbol of victory, so. Oh, there you go. Very cool. Yeah, but I, you could definitely play around with a lot of different uh, Mandalorian, um, you know, items and relics and things uh, like that, you know, um, kind of in, in current canon, we're, we're getting a lot of, 
things that are taking place, you know, revolving around like best car and the collection of that, um, you know, precious metal and things like that. So yeah, it could have been, could have been the same, you know, back to that or, you know, something that was used to craft weapons and ancient weapons and, and things like that, because yeah, ultimately it's more of a, more of a symbol than an actual tool. So, you know, to see how that might've changed over, uh, over the course of history is, is, uh, you know, kind of interesting and, and kind of a fun thing to lay out and, uh, think through for sure. Yeah. So there's our, um, love letter to Duxin and Onderon and, uh, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing that and, uh, you know, uh, giving us something to think about there. Now I'm going to be thinking about about that all day. But, you know, I don't really have time to think about that too much because we have a lot of important stuff to do. And first things first, Cassia, we found all of the Jedi or, uh, you know, depending on uh, if you're uh, dark side, you might have had some encounters with the Jedi. But, you know, we went light side. Uh, we're pretty nice people uh, by and yeah. large. So we're going back to Dantooine to uh, reunite with all the Jedi Masters that kicked us out of the Order in the first place. What could go wrong? <laughs> what could go wrong indeed? That's right. Yeah. So we get back to Dantooine. They are um, in the uh, Jedi Enclave. It's uh, being rebuilt. And we go and confront them. And uh, basically, the Jedi Masters say, we kicked you out. We were right to do so. And now you you keep coming around. We're going to cut you off from the Force. And that's that's what they do. But luckily, or unluckily, I guess, depending on how you look at it, uh, we have a companion with us uh, by the name of Kreia who does not take too kindly to that. Yeah, and uh, before they can really cut Mitra or go off from the Force again, um, Kreia just comes onto the scene and um, cuts them off from life, I guess. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, it it depends. I think if I think if you do light side, I think she just kind of incapacitates them. But I think if you're dark side, then yeah, she uh, she takes them out for sure. Uh, but you know, both uh, kind of the, the results are are kind of the same. They're not able to uh, get you fully uh, cut off from the force. But it does you know explain some things as to why uh, Kreia was able to talk to us. You know, kind of through our head through this whole time is she had uh, this link to us, and that's really what um, you know on the light side what they're trying to sever is you know. Kreia being able to communicate with us in that way. So I think that that stuff is uh, pretty interesting and uh, kind of a neat way to, you know, kind of, you know, put a cap on that story that revolved around finding, you know, the missing Jedi. Where did the scattered Jedi go? And it, you know, kind of gives some closure to that story of Mitra Surik, even though it's, you know, probably not very fulfilling. You know, you expect you play through uh, this whole game. Um, you find the Jedi Masters and you know, you expect to kind of be welcomed back into the order with open arms, but no, they pretty much stick to their guns, right? They they say, No, we, we made our decision and we, we stand by it. You are not right to have the force. So Yeah, the the prequel Jedi and the Kotor Jedi Council would probably get along with each other. <laughs> That's right, yeah, they could compare notes. And, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, have some good ideas for how to run things poorly. So, uh, yeah, so that is what we have to do on Dantooine. So, uh, either way, light side, dark side, uh, we, we go there, we meet them and then we're off, uh, to our next destination here. Um, and that is, we're headed back to Telos, uh, to meet up with an old friend, uh, you know, over, a over a pumpkin spice latte, uh, at yeah. Starbucks, we're going to go have a drink, share some good times. Uh, you know, maybe get into a maybe get into a fight because you've been hanging out with Sith holocrons all day. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. But you get to take down Atris, who I don't know. Atris is so interesting. It would have been interesting to have her as a companion, which was mm-hmm. the original plan. Um, but she ends up like um, turning to the dark side because she was so worried about the dark side and kind of is revealed to be like hypocrites a strong word but she kind of is one so yeah moral of the story don't isolate yourself uh with a bunch of uh bad dark evil knowledge because it's going to rub off on you for sure so yeah atris uh becomes the new uh iteration of darth Treya, the queen of betrayal uh which is it's it's kind of fascinating from from a standpoint where you know she flees obviously when you know dantooine is under attack and she goes and she's trying to kind of rebuild or begin you know kind of a new jedi enclave and she starts accumulating all of this uh you know you know sith artifacts and materials and holocrons and things like that to to study from and to learn from but you know ultimately yeah i guess you know uh, you just kind of absorb all of that uh that negativity um and negative uh thoughts and negative emotions and you know eventually it's going to get the get the best of you so um yeah it's it's interesting uh to me from the standpoint that you know atris was the most vocal of the the jedi and casting us out from the jedi order in the first place and then she ultimately is the one that you know fully turns and uh, meets her end in that fashion yeah and it, it's just interesting because she had a like a holier than thou attitude the whole time about it. So, uh, it's just an interesting character arc. And if there were a college textbook about Kotor too, I would really love some analysis on Atris. Uh, so yeah, so that ties up our uh, loose ends there uh, with Atris, um, and that leaves us with uh, one more stop here. Um, as we go through our end game, and that is we are finally going to be uh, confronting Darth Nihilus. We've uh, seen Darth Nihilus a few times in some cutscenes and things like that, but we're finally going to be uh, going face-to-face, uh, toe-to-toe, uh, mask-to-mask uh, with Darth Nihilus. So all aboard the Ravager, uh, we are headed up uh, to board this thing. This is a really big ship, uh, by the way, on, on a mm-hmm. side note. Um, and yeah, we're going to get there in our final confrontation. And we've got some, some kind of interesting things that happen. Uh, Mandalore is there. He says that I'm coming with you. Um, I'm going to get the rest of the Mandalorians are going to come and help, uh, bring this ship down. But, uh, Candorous, uh, Mandalore has to be in your party. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Um, and, uh, Visas Mar, it's really important for her story because she is headed back to confront her old master. Yeah. That's something interesting that KOTOR 2 does is it kind of forces you to bring certain companions like throughout the game. And I think only like, um, that only really happened in KOTOR 1, um, on Lehan when you go to the temple to confront Bastila, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's interesting, uh, Mandalore, the preserver, uh, helps you out, which kind of like, uh, I mean, Nihilus was a, originally fighting against the Mandalorians, and now it's kind of like you 
kind of ordered a genocide, you know, like on the Mandalorians. (laughs) And now you're fighting together. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a weird amalgamation of things. And I was going to talk about it a little bit. Um, You know, we're talking about the atonement bits. But yeah, it's kind of all of these like threads of Mitra Surik's story are kind of coming together and getting intertwined um, on board the Ravager on this ship. So yeah, it's interesting that Mandalore is with you and the Mandalorians are, are going to help you uh, here in this case. And it's interesting, like I said, the, the Visa Smar is there, um, you know, to face off against her former master. And uh, one of the things that the, the game, the story does really well um, is Visas basically like checks herself out of her out of your party, right? She's like, I'm gonna go <laughs> over here, and you don't know if it's because she's meaning to betray you. You don't know uh, what that means, and I think that that's really interesting. But you know, basically, she's just going to kind of meditate to think on uh, what's going to be happening before she's uh, going to confront her former master, and uh, probably because she knows that he is a real bad dude. Yeah, I mean, Nihilus, like, he doesn't really have much of a personality. He's more of a force of uh, nature. Mm. Um, And you kind of, like, he's just spooky. Um, And uh, I always say Visus, but I think it's Visus. And she meditates and aids in breaking her bond with Nihilus. And then we kind of battle him and uh it takes a while but um we defeat him visas comes in and uh helps us um with that as she is able to kind of you know sever her ties uh with darth nihilus which leaves him a little bit vulnerable um and we're able to defeat him Uh, let's talk a little bit about darth nihilus um Big fan favorite, uh, has the very spooky mask, uh, looks looks pretty cool. Um, he's got himself a Black Series uh, figure, uh, which is neat. Uh, yeah. So uh, Darth Nihilus, uh, a.k.a. the Lord of Hunger, um, kind of got this way because uh, he was on Malachor when the Mass Shadow Generator went off, but uh, he survived. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, uh, bad news there because uh, when you survive something like that, uh, you're basically left as uh, kind of this... Uh, refer to it as like a wound in the force, but uh, I don't know. The only the only thing that can keep Nihilus alive now is basically uh, consuming or uh, quote unquote eating uh, force energy. So uh, you'll see a lot of times people will refer to Darth Nihilus as planet eater and stuff like that. And uh, really, what he's doing is he's consuming all of the uh, the positive uh, like force energy uh, from people just uh, very similar to what Malak was doing at the end of KOTOR right he was drawing on that force energy uh, from his prisoners there that was giving him strength so uh, kind of the next level uh, iteration of that here for Darth Nihilus and I wanted to uh, make a a uh, little comparison uh, here now if you've been reading uh, the high republic in the in the first wave uh, that came out one of the uh, main kind of threats to the jedi were these things called the levelers uh, which also literally just eats um, you know kind of uh, the force uh, you know the positive force the light side of the force it just kind of eats that um, and they are controlled and used by the uh, pirates, which are called the Nile. So is that a tie-in? Does that make Darth Nihilus canon? Uh, not yet, but I have a feeling that it probably will uh, at some point. Uh, but yeah. w- when you're eating 
uh, life force all day, every day. Uh, eventually, you're not going to be able to eat enough, um, and you're going to have to put your soul into that spooky mask that you wear, and that's how you live on. Yeah, the interesting thing about uh, Darth Nihilus is it's kind of like when the mass shadow generator went off, like uh, Mitra Surik became a wound in the force, but all, uh, so so did uh, Darth Nihilus. It's kind of like he's like a dark twin, dark shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You have a lot of those kind of parallels between Mitra Surik and, you know, kind of these other uh, companions and adversaries as uh, you go through the story. And yeah, definitely kind of flip sides of the coin uh, there as both being, you know, kinds of these wounds of the Force. And then uh, by creating Darth Nihilus, who then uh, went on to Qatar and, uh, you know, <laughs> ate all of the all of the uh, life force uh, there, that left uh, Visas Mar as the only survivor of that. So, you know, by by doing that, by creating Darth Nihilus, um, you've also, you know, created uh, Visa Smar as his apprentice, and you have basically eliminated uh, the majority of the Jedi from the galaxy and sent the surviving ones uh, scattered to the winds. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of really kind of neat story bits about Mitra Surix, um, you know, journey are coming to a head here aboard the ship. Yeah, and it's kind of like there. There's all this unfinished business that you have to finish uh, to get uh, back to Malachor. Um, so you have to go to Dugs and Onderon. You have to go to Dantooine. You have to go to Telos. You have to uh, kind of like acknowledge like the problem that is Darth Nihilus you know on the Ravager he's kind of been spooky the whole game you know but you have to finally do something about it that's right yeah he's uh he's been spooky and uh speaking in whispers and and things so uh yeah it's uh it's pretty neat as it comes to a, a head there um but fortunately you know we are able to get the best of darth nihilus we have uh eliminated that branch of the of the sith which uh just really leaves us um you know with a, a couple more uh things to iron out here as we get into the final section on to malachor but that's going to have to wait for another day because malachor uh was kind of the the birth of Mitra Zurich in our story um, and it's going to uh, be the final piece so we're going to save Malachor for its own uh, separate episode so um, let's just talk about here about the loose ends and the the places that we went and uh, kind of the lessons that we learned along the way uh, Cassia but we're getting into the end game are what parts of uh, Mitra Zurich's atonement are we seeing here any uh, you know correlation or parallels or really important lessons that you can see? I think, like, kind of seeing someone uh, finish their unfinished business uh, shows responsibility and growth. And um, it would have been easy for her to be, and to be like, oh, Doug's and Onderon, like, General Falco and Queen Talia can figure it out on their own. You know, I, I, I don't care. For the most part, the Jedi Masters are like, eh, we don't care, you know. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, and then, like, you kind of, like, go back to Dantooine, uh, to the people that cut you off from the Force, and, like, kind of, like, finishing, uh, 
I guess, the cycle there, you know, in a way, or attempting to, and then kind of Korea, like, you know, kind of stops that, like, but it, she was facing it, you know, um, and then, like, to go to Telos to try to stop Atreus, who's been a foe, basically, since you left to go fight in the Mandalorian Wars, you know, um, and try to put a stop to her, like, turning to the dark side, like, if we're playing the light side canonical path, you know, um, and, um, like, the Darth Nihilus is kind of like your dark twin who's been there since, um, the mass shadow generator went off and you became a wound in the force, so I kind of see it as, like, she's kind of facing everything, um, that will really prepare her to kind of go to her deepest depths, uh, uh, her personal hell, which is Malachor. Yeah, for sure. Very well said. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of the culmination of, you know, all of these, uh, storylines that are coming to, to a head here, which, you know, obviously makes sense from, from a story perspective, but, but really it's her having to face all of these, uh, kind of branching things that she's, um, you know, either caused or turned her back on or, um, you know, was the insider of, you know, all of this stuff, um, you know, kind of in the, in the belly of this, uh, beast of the Ravager. So I think that that stuff is very interesting. Um, I think that, you know, Darth Nihilus could certainly, um, be a parallel to the purgatory stage of gluttony, uh, with his, uh, unsatiable, uh, hunger, which, you know, I, I felt that that was uh, pretty obvious and obviously, uh, being gluttonous and, you know, consuming, uh, all of this force energy eventually led to his demise and, um, you know, causes him to, uh, you know, fracture off, uh, from his, uh, apprentice and, uh, meet his, uh, ultimate fate there. So, um, yeah, I think that it's, it's just really interesting as kind of all of these stories that we've been talking about as we've been going from place to place are finally coming to a head. And I think that, uh, Kotorti does a really good job of, you know, kind of tying this, uh, storyline up for us and, you know, getting us, uh, really prepared to, like you said, going into, uh, uh, Mitra's, uh, personal hell to Malachor. And, uh, that's where we're going to go next, but I think that's going to have to wait until next time. Uh, Cassio, we covered a lot of ground. We went to a lot of the galaxy today, but, uh, any closing thoughts on any of these last locations or, uh, just about the locations of KOTOR in general before we uh, sign off of this one? Well, kind of comparing like our coverage of KOTOR 1, I was just kind of thinking about it, like, we were kind of, like, uh, making, like, you know, a, a treatment for a movie that's never going to happen, mm -hmm. you know? And then, kind of, like, like, we could go on for hours about KOTOR 1, you know? But uh, with KOTOR 2, it, maybe it can kind of be a little bit more scary, because it's kind of like a deeper, more philosophical game, but... I think it's good that we're kind of just, like, covering it in short little bursts so, like, people aren't intimidated by it, but we're still covering everything. Uh, we're just not having, like, hour and 30-minute episodes, <laughs> so we're more accessible, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We, um, yeah, we really, uh, you know, just kind of on a, on a personal 
you know, peek behind the uh, Old Republic podcast curtain, we really were not sure how we wanted to handle KOTOR 2 because, you know, it seemed to us very obviously that, uh, you know, and you'd actually started, you know, before I came on board, uh, Cassia of treating the first nights of the Old Republic game as a film. But KOTOR 2 is so much more um, philosophical and, you know, kind of asking, you know, the the listener, the the viewer, the you know, person being told uh, the story, the game player, you know, to to really meet it, you know, almost more than halfway in some instances and kind of draw your own conclusions and how you feel about things and how you think that the characters uh, would feel about things. And I think that doing these little travel logs has been kind of a good exploration of that uh, very loosely, um, you know, from from a standpoint of uh, covering the game and the locations and uh, getting a little bit of an introduction uh, into the characters. But, you know, I think I think that there's still definitely some uh, good stories to tell about KOTOR 2. We're going to have to uh, get into, maybe do a little bit uh, deeper dives on some characters and uh, sort of their um, individual journeys. Maybe we'll have to uh, incorporate some uh, hero's journey or heroine's journey uh, into our KOTOR 2 uh, storytelling because that's something that we uh, definitely like to do. But um, but yeah, this uh, this ride and these travel logs are not over. Like I said, we have one more uh, stop to make at Malachor before we uh, finish off the the KOTOR 2 uh, game anyways. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back to uh, chat about uh, some more stuff about KOTOR 2. But let us know, I guess, if you have um, any thoughts about uh, what you would like to see from KOTOR 2. KOTOR 2, be it a movie, be it a book, uh, be it a, a tone poem or an ice capade uh, with Kreia, you know, let, let us know how you think KOTOR 2 uh, should be covered or adapted. And, you know, maybe we'll have to, uh, we'll have to talk about that. We'll take all ideas and, and probably run with them. Yeah. So until next time, may the force be with you. Public podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And if you want to connect with the podcast on Twitter, we can be found at Old Republic Pod. And if you want to connect with me, I can be found on Instagram at Astro underscore Droid underscore. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Old Republic Podcast. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Dennis S. Mowers at dennissmowersmusic.com. This episode of the Old Republic Podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. <laughs>